Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Day and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Kevin. All good. is tickety-boo. Good, good. Yes, last time we spoke, we ended with a, a brief discussion on how it would go if Kevin Rowland and Yogi Bear uh, were to present this. <laughs> I'm still slightly shaking. Oh, I'd have to say that first Dex's Midnight Runner album was... Genius. Fan- yes. Fantastic. Um, or Genoas. Ho, ho. Oh, ha, ha. Shall, 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 shall I stick for the day job? No, very good. I, I saw them in the very early days in uh, uh, the Greyhound in Fulham Palace Road, and they were magnificent. And then a couple of years later, off the back of the single, single Gino Washington came over and I saw them there as well. So uh, I never saw Yogi Bear. I'd love to admit Yogi Bear. He was, yes. although it always confused me, he was, he was smarter than the average bear. I don't know. How smart the average bear was, really, because <laughs> Paddington wasn't that bright, really, and he's probably the only other one. Winnie definitely wasn't. So, being and two s- of them wore hats. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Hats mm. and no other item of clothing, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, this, uh, this is one of our special interview uh, pods, Kieran, um, and it's one I've been quite looking forward to. Unfortunately, I couldn't do it, so you did it on your own, and I, I think it's fair to say that probably the most enthusiastic interviewee we had in the past couple of years has been Peter McCormack, who took over Rail Bedford FC, a Bitcoin guru. And we spoke to him shortly after he'd taken over at Bedford FC and changed them into Rail Bedford. And he was uh, a force of nature, Kieran, as he was when he turned up in the Porson's Arms three weeks later before Palace played Liverpool when he converted several people to his cause. Uh, but we promised way back when that we would catch up with him when Rail Bedford got their first promotion. Um, and true to our word, you caught up with him for a fascinating interview. Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show. First of all, congratulations. Uh, trophy winners, league winners, did you did you celebrate in a Jack Grealish style with, <laughs> uh, with, with the lads? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, it was a really strange one because uh, we ended up beating Langford towards the end of the season and we kind of essentially had won the league, but there was like a mathematical possibility that if we'd something like lost our last four games and Chenox won their last four and turned over a 30-goal deficit then then we could have lost the league and so you kind of we kind of walked off the pitch knowing we'd kind of done it but everyone was really flat because yeah. you knew we couldn't celebrate so it was probably the most one of the flattest uh games we've ever had afterwards everyone just kind of went home and then we had the uh, the game against Ampthill drew uh, and won the league and you know we had we had a good celebration uh, uh you know we went, all went out that night but you know, within 24 hours, it was really strange. It's kind of like, okay, that's done. What now? Uh, yeah. And that must be quite scary because you're now having a step up. Does that mean you've had to change your budgets or uh, is everything on track for next season uh, as, as far as you're concerned? You know, is, is it going to make your summer more difficult than you initially planned? No, not really because uh, my manager, Rob Sinclair, said to me, we were talking at one point in the season and something stood out to me. 
we were talking, I was trying to talk to him about a game a few weeks away and he says, look, Pete, I just take it one game at a time. And I kind of realized that while he takes it one game at a time, I take it one season at a time. So mm. yeah, the way we set up this plan was we want to get in the football league. Um, I want to start the season with him having all the resources to means he can compete to win the league. And so by the time, uh, yeah, we'd finished our celebrations. I'd already done my planning for step five. I'd done yep. all the planning, everything we needed to do. I mean, there's still lots of implementation, um, but now it's kind of like I've given him, again, all the resources he needs this year to compete, and I, I'm now starting work on step four and three. And anyone listening might be thinking, well, you haven't got there yet. What are you doing? But uh, it's more like uh, I'm planning if we get there that we will be ready to compete. Yeah, I, I know that... Um... Paul Barber, who's the chief executive of the club I support, Brighton, uh, when we were in the championship, he he came out on one occasion um, and said, yeah, we are Premier League ready. And that provoked quite a negative reaction, especially from fans of other clubs. But I think having a long-term strategy is absolutely essential because you know, and you, no doubt you've been doing your homework in, in terms of these other steps, is that uh, you have to have things in place in terms of the infrastructure, in terms of what's available for the referees, uh, minimum requirements in terms of uh, what you can do in terms of fans and so on. What, what do you think is going to be the, the biggest step up that, that you're probably going to have to look at over if things go to plan over the next two to three years? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I've kind of broken it down into various stages and I've looked I've looked all the way all the way up to the Premier League which people laugh at me for but you know set, set your goals high uh, mm. step three is a massive step from six five and four um, and that's mainly due to the budgets that the teams are spending the you know I was looking at the likes of Nuneaton and Tamworth and teams like that there's a massive step up from step four to step three I actually think the step from five to four isn't huge um, if we were going into step four this season rather than step five, I think we'd be competitive. But step three, there's a massive jump up. You, there's teams out there who I assume or have been told are, you know, have got weekly budgets of ten to £12,000, which is you know, quite significant. And that's a massive jump up from the levels we're at. Um, I, and then I think every level there, step step three, step two, step one, they're, they're all huge jumps. And mm. yeah, last year, Fortunately for everyone else in the National League, both Notts County and Wrexham went up because they had huge budgets. I mean, Notts County were getting crowds of anything up to 16,000, I think. I mean, when you've got 16,000 people coming through the gate, that's good money. That's going to you know, contribute to, to the budget you need to be competitive. Um, so they're all significant jumps. I actually think once you get out of the National League into League Two, I, th I think – League Two itself isn't too much of a challenge after that. You see a lot of teams go straight through from League Two to League One. And I think it's because I think the National League is a much harder league. I think you've got to spend more. But well, yeah, we're talking way ahead now. Step three is, is the first one I'm worried about, where I look at the size of the crowds we've got, the infrastructure we've got, you know, the business plan. And I, I, I'm not there at the point where I think, right, we will definitely have a competitive budget. Last year we did. This year we did, we will. Next, you know, next year if we get on to step four, we will. But step three, I think, is a big jump up. And, and you, you mentioned budget there. I mean, I think you've tried to position uh, Real Bedford. Yep. It, it is Real, isn't it, rather yeah. than real? Yeah, yeah. yeah you've, you've tried to position Real Bedford as 
the the Bitcoin team and to therefore to to target the community in terms of getting interest. Does that mean that you have a very significant proportion of your revenues coming from merchandise sales, streaming, and so on, and perhaps that uh, that match day revenues are, are lagging behind. I've, I've seen that you know net, you've got season tickets, one hundred and twenty pounds, concession season tickets, sixty pounds. Um, does that contribute much towards the overall coffers, or um, do you think you found yourself a niche position which which you can uh, leverage on going forwards? Yeah, we've we found ourselves a niche position. Um, I. I looked a lot at Forest Green when we put this project together and what they'd managed to do is essentially almost like a village team that's managed to get up into the Football League um, and what Vince has done to to build a team around a, a different kind of identity because most football teams stand for the same thing. Um, and certainly we are, there's a lot of benefits from that. Being the Bitcoin team, the people care about you know, financial responsibility, it gives us access to a, a global audience of Bitcoiners who believe, right, this is our team. Um, and it does come with some criticism. Some people pick holes in it. But what I always say to them is we have now people from all over all over the world buying merchandise with Bedford on it, flying to Bedford to come and watch games. We had 12 guys come to watch us play Hold McGreen who came in from Slovakia. Um, and <laughs> right. those are people who are staying at hotels in Bedford, spending money in Bedford and contributing to the local economy. But it also just gives us a, a massive advantage over teams at our level. Uh, we sold 2,000 shirts last year and we're a step six team with essentially a year of history. I know we acquired a previous team, but we're a new identity. Um, we sold 120 grand of merchandise. I mean, that's pretty incredible for the level we're at. But it also gives us access to these sponsors. So what, what local grassroots teams tend to have is they're a local team. They get local sponsors who talk to local people who come to the game. Because we've got a global audience and we stream our games, we can access much bigger companies with bigger budgets who want to target that audience. So it just gives us this big advantage in that that we have this income coming in. But at the same time, you know, I think of us as more like a, a startup as well. We've got to grow our local revenues. We've got to grow our local crowds and we've got to become sustainable. You know, we've worked really hard on that. We grew our I mean, when I took over those first couple of months of the previous season, our attendances were like 40, 50, 60 people. Now, we averaged 180 last year. And final game of the season, we had 327. And we were regularly in the top 10 step six crowds. Uh, our goal next season is to grow that again. And we want to become less reliant on sponsorship and more reliant upon uh, uh, local fans coming to games. But it's just that that takes time. Um mm. And so luckily with the sponsors and the international followers, we just get to accelerate our project. Right, yeah, right. And yeah, there, there is another team in Bedford, Bedford Town, isn't that right? Um, do, do, do you have, a, do you have a, a relationship with them? Do you have any pre-season friendlies? Is there, is there any sort of argy-bargy between the two sets of fans of the two clubs? Or is it you just happen to be in, in the same location and uh, it, it's just a coincidence? Uh, no, it, the, it, there's definitely a fractured relationship. Uh, Originally, I would have liked to have bought them because they've got a bit more of a history. But you know, John Taylor didn't want to sell; they were going up to step three, and you know, fair play to him. He did a really good job getting them up to step three, and he wanted to see that through. So, uh, we acquired the team next door. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a few of the things I said uh, upset some of them. I, I said I don't think they have a plan which can get them into the football league. And Bed- Bedford, as a town, has never had a team in the football league for the size mm-hmm. town we are. That's ridiculous. We should have a team in the football league. 
And so I set, upset a few of them with that. And, um, yeah, I probably was a bit gung ho and, and a bit unfair to them. Uh, uh, a lot of their fans definitely don't like us. They, they, <laughs> they want us to fail. And I, I think we're probably the first result they check and they hope we lose. Um, but I think a, a healthy rivalry is a good thing. Yeah. They were th- step three was step six. We're now five. They're step four. We're a division away. Um, They've got a good chance of getting promoted back up, though. You know, John is investing in one of the teams, got a good new manager in. He's got Birchie, who was at Leighton, did a great job there. And they're you know, bringing in some great players. Um, uh, we didn't manage to get a preseason friendly, sadly. Um, but uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we maybe draw them in the County Cup this year and get a game against them. But there's definitely a local rivalry. Um, and we're doing everything we can to try and catch them and overtake them because. Like I said, we we want I want Bedford to have a team in the football league, and I think we've got a plan that can do it. Right, brilliant. And you've spoken about promotion and ambitions. We've we, we've seen a, a a team from not too far away in the shape of Luton Town go from non-league to Premier League. Is that going to make your job harder because they're going to be generating all of the attention, or uh, and also potentially you know sucking up fans because of the 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 allure of the premier league or can you sort of uh, you know take 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 a an advantage from them being there saying well if they can do it we've been doing it and we're, we're only just down the road uh, how, how's how's your perception of of luton um i'm pretty neutral on the impact but i'm absolutely incredible what they've done i think it's amazing the first game of football i ever went to was at luton my dad took me to see liverpool play them uh, as a nil nil draw back when they had the old plastic pitch uh, and I think everything that happened to them falling through the leagues, uh, some of the financial things that happened there was really sad because a lot of my friends are Luton fans. And mm. so to see what they've done coming back from the, uh, the you know, uh, National League back up through the leagues into the Premier League is incredible. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's a bigger achievement than or as big an achievement as Leicester winning the league. Um, and I, we should celebrate that. Uh, in term, I don't think it will drag people away from us that much. We're trying to build... Uh, Bedford as either your number one team or your number two team if you're like a Man U or a Liverpool fan where you actually I want to support a local team Uh, but what I I think it does do is set the ambition but but it is a bit different they're coming with a lot of history they're coming with crowds of plus 10,000 it's a bit like Notts County and Wrexham both those teams could end up getting in the Premier League because they have big enough crowds to drive the revenue and big enough brands we, we, you know, we're realistic about this. We have 180 people on average who come to a game, and if we could get that to 350 this year, that would be great. But mm. we don't have thousands coming to us. I think actually Wimbledon's a great example. I can't remember the size of their crowds when they relaunched, but they were good, and that's what helped them because those crowds bring in revenue. And so I'm, I'm not, I don't use them as an inspiration we can get in the Premier League because they did it for non-league. Um, but I do use it as an inspiration that we can uh, build local sport and get into the football league itself, which could take a decade, could take 15 years, but I think we can do it. And, and, and like I say, our advantage is we might not have as many local fans, but we do have this you know, unusually large international following for a step, well, step five team now. Pro- probably already if we've got one of the largest international followings of any non-league team in the UK. Good, good. I mean, you, you said you got this sort of this this expanded fan base, and we've we've seen other people sort of try to replicate that model, uh, you know, by by jumping into the football league in in the shape of Crawley Town. Now, 
I think it's fair to say that that's been a relationship that hasn't worked necessarily, um, certainly in terms of the relationship between uh, club and fan base. Do you think there's any lessons to be learned from that? Or are you in a completely different position because you say you've started at a much lower step and therefore you're you're in a position where you can effectively build up the fan base who, who sort of share your values and so on? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key differences between us and them. Um, and I think, if anything, it's rather than us looking at them for things to avoid, uh, it's them they should be looking at us to see how we've done it. Uh, but there's a couple of key differences. Whilst they're essentially a crypto club, whilst we're a Bitcoin club, which I won't go into the details of now, but we don't actually push the Bitcoin thing too hard. We have a meetup before games if you want to come, and if you're a Bitcoiner, you can, you, know, you, you can identify with the club. But we don't push anyone to buy anything. We're not selling anything. You can come to a game and completely ignore the Bitcoin thing. That's yeah. totally up to you. Whereas they have, they've been pushing the sale of the NFTs. and So that, that's one, one way they've made a bit of a mistake. Um, secondly, I'm from Bedford. So this I'm in Bedford right now. This has so much meaning to me i've lived here my whole life i know the town i know the people i know the good and the bad side so i'm connected to this town they don't they don't really have any connection uh, to crawley i also just don't think they're particularly good at what they do i think they've uh, the way they've treated the managers haven't been good i the way they've treated the fans i think is it's not been good i i, I kind of feel like they're almost destroying a, a really good club and my expectation is it's got about another year of legs in it until it falls apart. I mean, they could have got relegated. Mm. Um, so, no, I don't really look at them. There, there is this kind of comparison because they're a crypto team and we're like a Bitcoin team. But outside of that, I think we're, we're very different clubs. We run very differently. I mean, I think I read about their owner being in the dugout which, on one game, which I thought was absolutely embarrassing. We, we have a very clear separation of responsibilities here. Rob Sinclair is everything on the pitch, and I don't interfere with that at all. He has his budget, and off, off he goes, and I'm everything off the pitch. That's right. I, I believe uh, one of the owners did come across and uh, to, to inspire the team. Um, and at the start of the second half, he wandered up to the fourth official to ask, how does this substitution thing work? And, and, that, and now whether that's true or not, but certainly that's the story which went out um it, it's not it's not gone down well and I'm, I'm limited to what i can say because i've had a bit of contact from fan groups at crawley who are concerned uh that uh it's you know from you say you've got that historic link with the town of bedford and and you're you're running it as a football club and you effectively you've got a, a delineation between that and and your bitcoin interest where i think there's much more of a merger Mm. Um, of at, at, at Crawley Town, and they have seen the football club as, as a as a way of uh, of generating product interest. Um, and I sort of it, it, barely a week goes by, and I, I'm, and I'm not on any soapbox here where you see a story about the crypto industry connected to football. So we had what happened with you know, digital bits with with Inter and Roma where the clubs didn't get paid. Um, we've, we've got Wagme itself. Um, and I think you and I both have had issues with uh, somebody who, who was, I think it was the, the sponsor of Barnsley for possibly one match. We're not even mm. that far in Hex. Um, how, how do you sort of try to separate your position from these other organizations because you say you are you, you've made it very clear that 
you are Bitcoin only trying and the danger is i think for as, as an outsider who's who's not particularly familiar that it all gets lumped in together um and uh it makes your job harder presumably yeah it does and and it isn't even just in football it's outside of football i have to spend a lot of time explaining the differences i mean on our twitter page it says no nfts no icos no web3 no down no fan tokens we are just bitcoin only and People lump them together because it's a cryptocurrency industry, but most people who are into Bitcoin actually completely separate themselves from this. Bitcoin is a uh, decentralized digital form of money. Uh, It is a commodity. It is regulated in most markets. Um, It is used for a a lot of different purposes. Uh, The Bitcoin mining industry is used in Texas to stabilize grids. So explaining and trying getting that all across to people is very difficult. Whereas a mm. lot of these crypto projects, that actually they're more like penny stocks. They're they're, yeah. they're they're unregistered securities, and there's this centralized person, usually associated associated with it, trying to financially benefit from that. And so there is a complete separation. But I think I think the best way of explaining it, I put a article up on our website about halfway through last year because people said i'm trying to promote scams and i put an article up it's why you should not buy bitcoin and most people ask yes, me, i read that yeah yeah, yeah when, when should i buy it should i said like, you shouldn't but you should definitely learn about it and learn about mm. money and the meaning of money because it's, it's quite a rabbit hole you have to go down to you you fully understand it but like i say the bitcoin thing is i am a bitcoin i believe in better forms of money um i i appreciate a, a school of economics called austrian um, I do think we are living in a, a very high inflationary environment environment at the moment. That does come down to government policy and mismanagement of money. Um, all those things are very obvious to me. And so what I try and do is just maybe if people ask me, nudge them in that direction. But again, when it comes back to football, yes, we might be the Bitcoin club because the Bitcoin podcast, Bitcoin, sorry, Bitcoin podcast that owns them. But like I say, if you come down to a game, you, you can pay on the gate, with your pounds, you can buy a pint and a, and a burger with your pounds. You can watch the game. You can leave and have no association with it at all, and and completely enjoy it. And and I think that's possibly why it's working with us because there is no need for anyone associated with the football club to buy anything. We're not selling anything beyond merchandise, which everyone sells, which is cups and hoodies mm. and shirts. There's no token you buy. There's no DAO you you uh, invest into. There's no NFTs. We don't do any of that that garbage so it's very hard to then come back to us and say well you're trying to profiteer off this because we're not what what, what we're trying what i'm trying to do is just elevate my town and fortunately i'm in the position where i have this global audience i can tap into I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So, whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues this is a show for you subscribe to the price of music in your podcast app now see you soon and in respect of of hex i i was i think it was fair to say i was pretty 
hostile towards uh, Hex's relationship with football. Um, and, and I just got abuse on social media, which is uh, which is par for the course. You know, I'm not in your league of social media followers, but you, you reach a certain level where it, it goes with the territory, rightly or wrongly. Um, is it fair to say that uh, the, the hex the hex gang took things a little bit further with you yeah they do they have what they do and they have done i mean when they found out i wanted to buy bedford town they uh reached out to the chairman and tried to sponsor the stadium and so if i had acquired it i'd have been stuck with the hex hex.com stadium um it is very cultish uh, as a group of people um they are uh very cultish towards their leader, Richard Hart. And I recently got a bag of crap sent in, actual crap sent in the post. Um, they, they don't handle criticism well. Uh, they see it as a direct mm. attack. Uh, but the truth is, I think the, the, the hex currency is down about 99% from its highs. Uh, to me, it's just an unregistered security. It's a penny stock. It's a gamble. It doesn't, it doesn't stand for anything which i stand for everything i try and do in terms of education around you know decentralized currencies and why bitcoin is useful uh, hex doesn't stand for any of that so it, the, so you you end up getting into these kind of like uh online fights with these people but now it's just not worth it i just ignore them it's you know I'm, they can do what they want uh richard hart can spend his money where he wants but i'm just focused on uh, my mission here for bedford fair enough fair enough and you've you've had now the the men's team Yep. Um, at at Rail Bedford, um, and I believe you're starting uh, uh, a women's team and uh, a girls' team as well. How how is that going to differ? Do you have the resources? Do you have the facilities? Um, what, what's what's the logic behind that decision? Yeah, so a year ago we partnered with Bedford uh, Ladies and Girls, which is the local Bedford uh, largest Bedford group of uh, uh, women, women playing football, and. Uh, Jill has run those for years, run them for years, done a brilliant job. And we want, it originally just wanted a partnership with them. Um, I think any modern football club now has to recognize the, the significant growth in women's football. I think it's uh, commercially a good thing to do, but I also think it's morally the right thing to do. The, the way I wrote about it in my program notes once, you know, I remember the days when my dad would play football and my mum would come home and wash his kit and then she would take me to football and wash my kits. You know, women weren't really playing football back then. It was even illegal at one point. Now they want to play football. And you hear some of these kind of like derogatory remarks that people say. And I'm like, come on, this game is growing quick. The popularity is growing quick. It's our time to turn to give a bit back. And so we wanted to support them. So we brought them all new kits. Uh, we've extended that partnership this year. They've now rebranded as Rail Bedford Ladies. Uh, we're going to be managing the senior first team. Um and so I'm essentially going to be uh, kind of like chairman, but I, I guess in some ways, as Jill is the ch- you know the chair of the club, I'm probably more like her director of football for her. Um, but yeah, so we we uh, we've brought in a new manager. We've set them the same goal uh, is to try and go and win the league. We're giving them the resources um, because they're a charity. We can't pay wages, but we can pay expenses. So we will do. We we won't have um, subs. Uh, we. I believe they're playing for us, our company and our brand. So they sh- it shouldn't cost them to play football. Um, and we're going to give them all the resources they need to be as success- successful as they can. And then we've also got these 20 uh, girls teams uh, aged uh, under 7 to under 16. Again, we're buying them all new kit and equipment and giving them the resources so uh, so they can do the best they can. And and that, that for us is trying to build this community around the clubs. It's not even them. There's a local youth boys side called Bedford Park Rangers 
um, and we've given them all new kits. Uh, for both clubs, we've given them a budget for coaching to invest in their coaches. And we also have a hardship fund. I think it's at £10,000 now, which uh, anyone whose parents who can't afford to buy boots or the subs for their kids, they can tap into that fund. We, we, we're trying to make it so money isn't a reason that uh, a kid can't play football in Bedford. So it's it's building up that football community in Bedford uh, that ultimately will support what we're trying to do. Uh, uh, and it's and also it's just doing that right thing where we should be supporting women's football now. That, that's brilliant. You know, that's totally sort of our ethos from from day one is that everybody's everybody should be equal in football, and and it's it's a chance for opportunities. Uh, so that that's that's really good to hear. Um, just sort just want to sort of go back to buying the club. I think we spoke to you. Was it December, January twenty one? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, um, and then there was a bit of a hiatus. What What was the biggest challenge in getting the deal over the line? Because I think that yeah, there'd been this big burst of publicity, and then things went a bit quiet, and and then there was a few sort of snarky comments coming out from some journalists, and then you bought the club. So, so from what was the timeline from your point of view, and and what were the biggest challenges that you had to overcome? I think I think the main challenges to overcome was that this was a kind of almost as low as you can go grassroots club that was run on a shoestring budget, and there was lots of administra- administrative things that needed to be sorted out, um, things that maybe hadn't been done, hadn't been done correctly, because we wanted to get the right legal structure in place to transition the club over. And just look, some of that took time. I mean, when you've got a committee which has, you know, uh, with all due respect, some old guys who've been kind of running it in the past. You've got to get them in a room together. You know, there's various illnesses at that age. So just getting all the people together at the right time to have the AGMs, to have the votes, get the legal structure in place, it just took longer than I expected. I think it took longer than all of us expected. Um, but because we wanted to do everything right, you know, I wanted to use the law firm that I've always used. I wanted to use the accountancy firm I've always used. I wanted to make sure we had the right board slash committee our side and so rather than it taking a few weeks which i've recently just bought a new company that took four weeks to complete that Mm. this really took three to four months to get it all right and all in place um and on top of that i had to do a lot of learning in terms of how football itself is structured how your relationship you have with the league the relationship you have with the fa the various rules so really i mean if anything it was just my fault i was probably I treated this like buying a company that you could do it in four to six weeks with the standard due diligence. No, it it, it was three to four months with all the things that come up with it being football because football is kind of unique. Yeah, I mean, football has got a, a lot of baggage. I mean, having, having been through that experience, if there was three things that you could do to improve football in terms of somebody wanting to either to buy a club or to progress a club in terms of having to deal with the local football association, with the football association itself, perhaps the local council. What, you know, if, if you were advising somebody, they say, yeah, okay, just give us three, Peter, three, three takeaways, Peter, what would they be? Well, I think the FA need to sort their systems out. The The whole game system itself is very archaic. There's lots of problems with it. Um, I'm in constant fear that we will make a mistake that will have us ejected from a competition or have points deducted. We, we, we had a thing come through that we had a player suspended and we were trying to find out should he have been suspended or shouldn't he have been. And, you know, if we play a player that's suspended, 
then if it's a cup competition, you're ejected. If it's a mm-hmm. league competition, you have the points deducted. And then we actually actually ended up finding out that whoever the ref was had put put a suspension in uh, twice, um, and one of them related to a uh, a sin bin, whereby if you have two sin bins in a game, it's actually a, a even though you don't get fined for sin bins, it's a one match suspension. He'd put two sin bins in instead of one. Right. Just finding that was really difficult. And, you know, with the game coming up, this was our star striker. We wanted to play him, and we were in fear of making a mistake. So I think the FA need to massively invest in re, you know, redoing the whole game system so you cannot make mistakes, which cost you points. It's, it's, it's a lot of administration that goes into it. So that, that would be my one thing I would say towards the FA, how they can make everyone else's life a bit more simple. Um, secondly, if somebody's interested in doing this, I mean, it is, <laughs> you have got to have a plan and that plan has to be a business plan. Um, I'm unapologetic about this, that uh, we, if we are successful, it's because we're a successful business and a football club is two things. It is a business and it is a brand and like traditional football people I know are going to hate that and non-league people and say, what do you want about? That's not what grass football is about. It's no, it is every, every team wants to win their league and I would say 70% of your chance of winning the league is having the budget to get players in. So you have to be a good business. And so if you want to be a successful football team, you have to build, you have to write a business plan and your business plan has to be able to target revenues for you to cover your base costs and then be able to invest. And so treat it, treat it like a business. It's not a football club. It's, it is a business. And the third thing, um, God, what would be the third thing I would say is, uh, I would say that you need to make sure you have the capacity to do this. Uh, I cannot tell you how much work is involved in running a football club. The amount of tiny little details on a match day, we have to have a program. Okay. We have to have food for away players. We have to have, um, uh, refreshments for committees. You have to have refreshments for the officials. We have to have everything set up for the officials in the dressing room. We have to report the scores. The amount of things we have to do just on a match day alone is massive. Then there's everything to do with the administration of the club. It's it's unreal the amount of stuff you have to do. So if you want to do this, you've got to have the time. Um, we're fortunate in that I've managed to build a team of you know very good volunteers who run this club. But it is there is a lot to this. Yes, yeah. Um, myself, Kevin, and Guy, we've we've just written a book, which is we're not here to plug our book, but we're go- I'm going to plug the book um, about taking a side from Sunday League to Champions League, and and that's a work of fiction. But we still did an awful lot of research, and, and I would absolutely echo what you have just said. Yeah, you know, we didn't we didn't physically have to put in the hours, but we went into the local handbooks and to see, you know, just how you know the thickness of the rope and the height of the rope when you start off at the lower tiers and you build up and build up. Uh it, it is it is a really tough, tough uh, gig. And it, and it, it is a labor of love. You know, you, you I guess you're doing it first of all because you, you say you lived in Bedford all your life and you want to to maybe perhaps you know leave a legacy in, in terms of this football club. Um Peter this, this has been really fascinating. I, I really appreciate giving up your time. If, if people want to listen to your podcast, if they want to find you uh, uh, to, to either get a, an increased interest in, in Bedford or, or to, to, to hear your views on, on Bitcoin, you, you are very uh, evangelical. And I mean that in a positive way. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm evangelical about the cure. And I don't, I don't, I don't see that being, a, being an issue. Um, 
uh, yeah, where, where's, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, well, look, firstly, thanks for having me uh, on again to talk about this project because it is an important project. And, and if, everything you do, uh, football finances is a, is a strange, strange world with a lot of shady stuff that's going on. But um, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's called What Bitcoin Did. It's on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere else. If you want to follow the team, it's Real Bedford, like Madrid, but in Bedford. Uh, and if you want to come down and watch a game, let us know. We'd, we'd love to have anyone down and see what we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to build something interesting here and and we'd love to have you come and see us. It's easy sometimes, Kieran, to not take the mickey, but to sort of laugh at somebody like Pete McCormack and his enthusiasm. But there's no doubt that initially what he did for his hometown was about his hometown football club. And it's it's I, I, I've had difficulties trying to work out which has been more important to him, the Bitcoin thing or the Bedford thing. And I think listening to that interview, without a doubt, it's it's the Bedford thing, isn't it? Yeah, he's very proud of his, his upbringing there. Um, he wants good things. You know, the fact that they've now got a, a women's team and a girls mm. team and they're they're aiming to bring in some 3G pitches and uh, you know, weirder, weirder chat uh, offline after the interview with regards to the budgets and, and the challenges that uh, that are going to result. Uh, yeah. and, and he is very ambitious. You know, he, he wants to to get the club into the National League and yeah. into the EFL. Um, and he's he's very genuine, but he's also done his homework. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're not plugging the book, but you and I did quite a lot of homework with regards to how do you get a club from Sunday League to Champions yeah, League and yeah, all of the yeah. all of the pitfalls and all of the, the 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 increments that you have to do when you're going from step seven to six to five to four and so on, um, and yeah, we, we went through a lot of handbooks and going holy moly, yeah, the people that are doing this for real, they have got my wholehearted mm. admiration, and Peter does too. Uh, uh, interesting as well, Kieran, when he's such a champion of of Bitcoin. Uh, and, and you said you know, it must be very difficult for him uh, when he champions one particular form of alternative currency to see other forms of alternative currency collapsing on a weekly basis. But he um, he, he took that question head on as well. And I, I think we should almost do um, a little announcement at the top of this to maybe the Crawley Town owners might probably not want to hear it. Yes, yes. Uh, um, uh, he wasn't impressed mm. uh he feels that there's a lot of people who are just on not saying on the take but who are opportunists when it comes to the world of crypto um and uh given that uh, his stance was taken so severely at one stage that uh, somebody did send him excrement through the post wow. uh, from yeah. another uh uh, what you might call evangelical, I don't think evangelical is the right word, uh, but one one group of uh, uh, crypto enthusiasts who are who are following their leader yeah. in a, in a David Korosh <laughs> style of devotion. Wow, it's a it's a strange old world out there, Kieran, isn't it? Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. Thank you to Peter McCormack, the owner of Real Bedford FC, and Kieran for that interview. We have some very interesting interviews coming up for you in the near future. 
Um, and if you have a question you'd like answered on our question show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Price of Football. Buy some football.